Well, today we continue our series through the book of James. Our sermon text this morning is James 1, verses 19 to 21. James 1, verses 19 to 21. You should be there. These are the words of God. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. Let's bow our heads and go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word today. And we declare with the psalmist, Your Word, O Lord, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So Lord, we ask You this morning, light the way for us today. Shine the light of Your Holy Spirit upon us. Illuminate Your Word to our hearts, we ask. Use Your Word to encourage us and to convict us as we seek to honor You, follow You, and walk according to Your ways. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen. Here in these few verses we just read, inspired by the Holy Spirit, James addresses a temptation that is common to man. And by that, I mean no person is exempt from it. It doesn't matter what your gender is, male or female. It doesn't matter how old you are, young, middle-aged, or elderly. And it doesn't matter what your vocation, your job is either. If you are a human being, that is, if you are alive and you have a pulse, in addition to those things, I also know this about you. I know that you, you like me, can be tempted at times to become sinfully angry. You can be tempted at times to become sinfully angry when things in your life don't go the way that you would like them to go. Now, lest any of the more mild-mannered among us become angry at me for saying that, I don't mean that every person here is guilty of yelling, screaming, or fits of rage. Many of us, when we think anger, we think loud volume. When we think anger, we think throwing things. We think vulgar vulgar language. And those behaviors certainly qualify. They obviously qualify as anger. A parent who is screaming at their child up the stairs, how many times have I told you? Fill in the blank. That certainly qualifies as sinful anger. Launching the TV remote at the TV screen because the Eagles lost the game certainly qualifies as anger. And by the way, that's no prediction. I do think the Eagles, I do think the Eagles are going to win this afternoon. 
But please don't do that if they lose, all right? No launching TV remotes at the screen if the Eagles happen to lose the game. It's important to understand that anger biblically encompasses much more than those, those more outward, demonstrable forms of anger. The late David Pallison, in his excellent book, which I commend to you, Good in Anger, he defines anger based on his study of Scripture in this way. He says anger, I think we have this on the screen for you, anger is active displeasure towards something that's important enough to care about. He goes on to say, it's the way we react, it's the way we react when something we think important is not the way that it is supposed to be. So anger, anger has to do with displeasure. Displeasure we feel because we perceive something to be wrong and out of line. Anger also has to do with, with how we react to that displeasure that we feel. So you can easily see yelling, screaming, fits of rage. These are not the only responses that fit that definition. More passive-aggressive behaviors such as mild irritation, cold, bitter withdrawal, grumbling, complaining. These responses also fit and can be quite damaging in their own right. Now you'll notice Pallison's definition gives room not only for sinful anger, but for righteous anger as well. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. In other words, the Apostle says, Let your anger always be righteous, godly anger, not unrighteous, sinful anger. Scripture makes it clear that God Himself is angry. God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 7.11. Because God in His very being, in His very essence, is righteous, holy, good, and just, all that contradicts, all that opposes His character, arouses His active displeasure. So God's anger, God's anger is His holy, righteous, and controlled indignation and opposition to every form of evil. However, in saying that, we must be clear, in so many respects, God's anger is not like human anger. God is never out of control. God never like we do, he never emotes. He, he never flies into a fit of rage. Furthermore, God's anger, God's anger is mingled with compassionate mercy, such that it moved him to send his son into the world to die on the cross in our place for our sins, for we who had so offended him. Thus, in keeping with God's own character, Pallison defines righteous anger as the constructive displeasure of mercy. The constructive displeasure of mercy. So the righteously angry person, like God Himself, sees evil, sees sin, sees injustice, is displeased with what he or she sees, and in response to that displeasure that he or she feels, that person moves towards the problem and the other person constructively and mercifully. 
Question. When you feel displeased with others or your situation, do you always, in every case, respond constructively and mercifully? Or do you at times, like me, respond in ways that fall somewhere along the unrighteous anger spectrum? Mild irritation on one end, punching a hole in the wall, or worse, on the other end. I think you'd likely agree, more often than we might like to admit, our anger is not like God's. It is not entirely holy. It is not completely righteous. Instead, it is mixed with sin, and in some cases, it is entirely sinful. Dear brothers and sisters, I remind you that the passage before us today is a word from God to both the first century believers it was written to and to us as well. It is a word from God to you and to me. It is a word from God to you today and to me today to help us to not walk down the pathway of sinful anger, but instead to walk a different path, a better path, a wise, far more peaceable and God-glorifying path. Let us now consider a survey of the passage. In verse 19, James exhorts his fellow Jewish believers scattered throughout the Roman Empire in this way. He says, let's look at the text together, let every person, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's important to keep in mind that this exhortation is connected to the theme that James introduced in verse 5, which we studied several weeks ago, of wisdom. Throughout this book, godly speech is directly tied to walking in accordance with the wisdom that is from above, spoken of in chapter 3, verse 17. In James, In James, the wise man or woman is the one who is able, by the grace of God, to tame the tongue. And the one who tames the tongue is considered wise. In reading verse 19, one cannot help but notice its similarity to certain Proverbs. In Proverbs 16.32, King Solomon declares, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. This theme of slow to anger, if you read the Proverbs, it's just everywhere. Another example, Proverbs 14.29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 15.18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. The original recipients of James' letter evidently found themselves in need of such anger-subduing, contention-quieting wisdom. As has been noted in prior sermons, the original readers were Jewish believers who had been dispersed from Jerusalem. They had been scattered to different parts of the Roman Empire due to persecution that had been become quite severe. One scholar notes that it is quite likely that this 
persecution, the persecution that they were experiencing, he notes that this was quite likely the primary trigger for their temptation to anger, which James is addressing. And he may be right. The original audience may have been very tempted, as they're experiencing the onslaught of persecution, they may have been very tempted towards sinful anger. Now, whether outside persecution was the specific circumstance that prompted James' exhortation here in verse 19 or not, we don't know for sure. However, it is clear, it is very clear that James was concerned that his first readers and all Christians respond to whatever tempting circumstances they face and whatever difficult people that they encounter Not rashly, not with unrighteous anger, not foolishly, but wisely. One key reason he calls us to do this is that verse 20, please look there again, anger does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, sinful anger fails to produce good fruit. It just tends to provoke ungodly, sinful responses in other people. Most of us have experienced this in person. Perhaps some of you have experienced it uh, in social media as well. You just want to make a point, but you happen to make it angrily. (laughs) You happen to make it with a bad attitude. Now what happens when you try to make a point, but you make it with a bad attitude? What what typically happens? How does the other person, nine times out of ten, respond? Angrily. So the back and forth exchange might then continue on. (laughs) A few more rounds, producing quite the abundance of joy and peace. (laughs) Not exactly. So in verse 20, James is saying in in essence this. He's saying, consider what exactly do you gain through an exchange of irritable, harsh, angry words? What practical good can come out of that? This is kind of like when Jesus pointed out the futility of worry on the Sermon on the Mount. You, you all remember that story well. He said, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you know, what can worry get you? And then he gets super practical. He says, can it add an hour to your lifespan? Well, here Jesus is, James, excuse me, is doing the same thing. He's pointing out the practical futility of sinful anger. He's saying, to the original audience and to us, your sinful anger that you express, it's worthless. It's futile. It's useless when accomplishing what you would hope to accomplish. It's useless when trying to accomplish righteous ends. Then in verse 21, James goes on to lay out the divinely prescribed alternative to unrighteous anger. So Here's the alternative. He says, don't yield... Don't yield to unrighteous anger, but rather, he says, put away. Put away. Or lay aside, as the NASB has it. Lay aside all filthiness. Lay aside all all that remains of wickedness. In other words, James is saying the alternative, the alternative to yielding to emotions of anger that well up within you, that rise up within you, the alternative to folly is to put your sinful anger, put your sinful anger... And all sin, all sin, all that is filthy, all that is dirty, 
all that is wicked. He says, take it and put away. He says, if you see anger or any sin in your life, here's the word of the Lord. Don't tolerate it. Don't excuse it. Don't let it remain. Put it off. For that is the pathway of wisdom. Furthermore, again, verse 21, he says, please look there, receive with meekness, receive with humility the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. So, the Word that has already been implanted in us is what? It's already been implanted into us. It's the Word of the Gospel. That's the Word that's been implanted into our very souls. So instead of yielding to sinful anger, James tells us we must put off anger and all sin and receive with meekness, with humility, the gospel. Wow. That is, we are to daily focus our attention on who Jesus is, what He has done, and allow the truth of all that to seep deeply into our souls such that we are more sanctified, more holy, and not so given to anger in all of its various forms that I outlined at the beginning. So we've considered an overview of the passage. I now offer for your consideration three practical recommendations. Three pieces of pastoral counsel, as it were, drawn from it. Recommendation number one. Seek daily to not tolerate sinful anger in your life. Seek daily to not tolerate sinful anger in your life. Anger anger is one of those sins. It's one of those sins that can become so deeply entrenched in our way of life, so habitual, so recurrent that our consciences become seared and hardened to its seriousness. Consequently, we fail to be all that convicted. I'm including myself in this. When we sin in this way, especially in marriages, families, sibling relationships, parent-child relationships, habits of expressing anger can over time just feel normal and become, this is just the way that we talk. This is just the way that we communicate in our family. Furthermore, we tend to excuse our anger. Anyone can relate to that. We tend to excuse our anger, our sin. Our folly, it's humbling to say that. We tend to excuse our folly by saying things like, I was just frustrated. I was just frustrated. Or it was a long day at the office. I was just tired and stressed out. It was just an off day. Or I just needed, ever say this one? I just needed to vent. I just needed to let it out. I just needed to get it out of my system so that I could feel better. Well, thankfully, this passage wakens you and I from our slumber. It puts us on alert. This passage, God's Word, puts us on alert today, and it says, in effect, when you speak that way, this is sobering, brothers and sisters, when you speak that way to your spouse, your child, whoever, when you, when you elevate your voice in the home, when you yell, when you complain, Okay? The passive-aggressive stuff. When you complain that things aren't going your way. When you subtly express irritation or frustration to your child. Or 
You walk out of the room. You withdraw from your spouse because you're feeling kind of bitter towards them right now because of what they just said. James is saying here, these, these responses of anger, and the Holy Spirit through James is saying, these responses of anger are decidedly not acceptable for believers. They're not okay. These verses remind us when we speak that way and act that way, we are not walking the path of wisdom. Instead, we exalt folly. Think of that the next time you're tempted to get angry. When we get angry, we exalt folly, as the proverb says. We are walking the path of the fool. And we are sinning. You'll notice God, through James, gives us a command here. He says, verse 9, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So this is a command. It's a loving command from our Heavenly Father to us. And that means obedience. Obedience for you and for me and all of God's children is not optional. God says, God by His Holy Spirit says, we must be the kind of people who listen well. And we must listen well all the time. And we must be slow to anger all the time. Again, in context, this is the pathway of wisdom. God Himself, you will recall, the psalmist says, is slow to anger. How many times have you read that in your Old Testament Bible reading? God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. All this means, brothers and sisters, is that there is absolutely no place, there is no place in the life of the believer for any anger except God's kind of good, righteous, constructive anger that is also mingled with mercy that is also mingled with love and compassion. You may recall Jesus said that the person who becomes sinfully angry at their brother is guilty of violating the sixth commandment, which is murder. Jesus explains anger is the root sin which causes murder. Therefore, he says, anger is murder of the heart. Pretty serious. I think you'd agree, Jesus, when you think of that statement, he took anger seriously. And his brother James clearly did too. Perhaps there's something here for us. Jesus took this seriously. James did. Perhaps I need to pay attention. So that's the biblical standard. Don't ever get sinfully angry. Sin's not allowed. And if you do get angry, make sure your anger is the good, wise, and righteous, God-like kind of anger. Of course, we all fall short, don't we? We all fall short of God's glorious standard, God's law, His commands in this way every day, which is why we need a Savior. And praise the Lord, we have one. His blood has made The foulest clean. Me. You. His blood availed for me. That said, even as we remember the Gospel today, and we do want to remember the Gospel and what Christ has done and how His blood covers over all of our anger, it is good to be reminded that the New Covenant does not abrogate the moral law of God. It doesn't discard the moral commands of Scripture and leave them by the wayside. And it doesn't, when you, the new covenant doesn't lay aside Proverbs. It doesn't lay aside the principles of wisdom that we read about there either. Instead, the new covenant does this. It provides a remedy for sin. 
the precious blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us of all sin. And the new covenant provides the necessary power, the power we need to both obey God's law and walk in wisdom with, in keeping with God's word. And that power is the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. So, when we sin against our spouses, when we sin against our children, when we sin against our fellow church members by expressing anger towards them, what do we do? What do we do when we fall? Well, we should ask God's forgiveness. We should ask God's forgiveness, ask their forgiveness, and we should repent. Then by the power of the Spirit, we should seek to not respond in sinful anger the next time that we are tempted to do this. Because this is the biblical way. Brothers and sisters, as you know, we live in a very fallen and broken world. And the fall has touched all of creation. All of creation, including every person seated here today. Consequently, we will frequently, we will daily find ourselves in situations that actively evoke our displeasure. On a given day, we might, we might be displeased with any number of things that come up. Wake up in the morning. Pull up the news app. Right? We might be displeased with unjust and immoral actions that we read about in the news. Get in the car. Go to work. We might be displeased there because of unfair treatment that we're experiencing at work or because bosses and coworkers are being unreasonable or being incompetent. End of the workday. Come home. We might be displeased with what our spouse or child has, has said to us that we feel is inaccurate unfair or unjust. Sunday, after church, (laughs) we might be displeased with the Eagles losing. Again, hopefully that won't be today, and I'm not predicting anything there. Any day of the week, we might be displeased with the weather. How often do we complain about the weather? Is that a subtle form? Maybe sometimes a subtle form of anger. It's important to note again the displeasure we feel in and of itself in response to these things is not necessarily sinful. Something disappointing, something wrong or unjust happens. The sense of displeasure alone that we feel is not necessarily sinful. Yet how we respond to that sense of displeasure will determine whether we obey this command or not. How we respond to the displeasure we feel will determine if we yield to unrighteousness or not. How we respond will determine if we walk the path of divine wisdom or not. Each one of us is presented with opportunities. Each one of us is presented with opportunities, usually more than one in a day, to respond to tempting situations well. To avoid the way of the fool. To apply this passage and to respond wisely. So, I want to invite you to consider this with me. How would the culture of your family 
and your marriage be transformed if you sought to apply this message, this passage, albeit imperfectly, for one month. Just think about that. One month, how would your marriage, married anyone who's married, how would your marriage be different? One month, how would your, apply this, seek to obey it, slow to anger, how would your family life be different? Other relationships you have that might be difficult, intense for you. If you sought to apply this verse, how would your life be different? Uh, I encourage you to give it a try. I think God's Word could have a powerful effect on us if we all leave aiming to give it a try. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord help us to not tolerate. The point here, may He help us to not tolerate sinful anger, but instead to resist it when we feel it rising up and repent of it quickly because we do stumble and fall, right? Repent of it quickly when that happens. All right, recommendation number two. Recommendation number two. Seek daily to forsake all sin. Seek daily to forsake all sin. James makes it clear that the antidote to sinful anger is in part this. Put away all filthiness, and rampant wickedness. The NASB says we are to lay aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Years ago when I was in college, I was deeply impacted by the 17th century Puritan John Owen and his book, his treatise on indwelling sin. It is a tough slog to read through it. It's thick. It's about this big. It's got its old English. It's got the these and the thous and sentences paragraphs that should be just broken up into multiple sentences, but they're not. It's just one sentence. Um, But it was well worth it for me to read this, and the payoff is significant if you've got the patience for that sort of thing. There are abridged versions that are a lot easier to read. But one of the points Owen makes in that book is that the Scriptures, this is very important and very helpful as we seek to live the Christian life. He says that the Scriptures do not allow us to compartmentalize our battle with sin. And what he means by that is that you ought not to expect to make any headway in fighting one area of sin that deeply unsettles you, burdens you, discourages you, and then simultaneously freely yield yourself to sin in other ways. The idea is that feeding the flesh is just that. It's feeding the flesh. So when we give in to sin, we feed, we stimulate, we strengthen the habit of yielding to sin that only grows stronger every single time that we yield to it. So for example, um, a man seeking to fight lust. That brother ought not to presume that he's going to make any progress in that area if he is simultaneously fudging the numbers on his tax return in order to pay less taxes. Why? Well, because lying is sin. Stealing is sin. And by lying and stealing, he's strengthening the habit of sin, which works against him in moments when he is tempted to lust. And our text speaks to this. It speaks to us. The alternative pathway to sinful anger isn't merely, don't be angry. So the idea here. And James is, yes, do indeed stop getting angry with your spouse. 
Do indeed stop getting angry with your child. Stop getting angry with your coworker. But even as you seek to do that, James is saying, make sure you don't yield yourself to sin in other ways. Make sure that you don't do that. God's Word says, here's the path of wisdom. Okay, It's laying out the alternative to anger, and it's put away all filthiness. You see that in the text, don't you? And all that remains of wickedness. So, here's how this applies to us. If anger is a struggle for you in any way, which for, for most of us, um, given the broad definition of anger, it is. This is a temptation for us, right? Um, well, part of the biblical antidote, as we see in the text, is seek in an overall way to be a godly person. Seek in an overall way to be a godly person. Seek to take not just anger, but all your sins that you struggle with. Seek to take them seriously and not lightly. So, may God, by His Holy Spirit, He wants to help us in these ways. May He help us with that in the year ahead. Recommendation number three. Recommendation number three. Seek daily to receive the Word of the Gospel again and again. Seek daily to receive the Word of the Gospel again and again. As an alternative to sinful anger, James exhorts us to not only to put away sin, but also to receive with meekness the implanted Word, which he says is able to save your souls. The NASB renders the word translated meekness in the ESV, humility. And as I mentioned earlier, the word we are to receive with meekness, the word that we are to receive with humility, is the word already implanted into us. What word is that? It's the Gospel. And this Gospel, the text says, is able to save. It is able to save your souls. You may recall the Apostle Paul says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So there in that text, Paul is referring to salvation, not not so much in terms of a past event, in terms of the cross and our conversion testimonies, but he's referring to salvation in terms of sanctification in terms of being made more like Jesus. The word of the cross, Paul says, the gospel is the power of God to sanctify us, to provide daily salvation, as it were, in the battle against anger, the battle against remaining sin. There is a sense, scripturally, there is a sense where we have been saved. All right? We have been saved. It's a past event. It's a past event. It happened when we were born again. And yet, this is also very true in Scripture, we all still daily need saving. We have been saved. There's a sense where we are being saved and daily need saving, which is why we need saving from remaining sin, from our patterns of sin, which is why we need to receive and believe the Gospel, not just once, right? Not just once, but all the time. Daily. So this is essentially what James is saying here. He's saying again and again, day by day, humbly, meekly, receive the Word of the Gospel into your heart. Because the Gospel has the power, the Gospel has the power to make you more holy, 
more like Jesus and less angry. This is very encouraging. The Gospel has power to make you more holy, more like Jesus, less angry. So, how does this happen practically? Well, we know that the Holy Spirit likes nothing more than to glorify the Son. Jesus said that's why the Holy Spirit had to come. The Holy Spirit likes nothing more than to glorify the Son, glorify Jesus, to shine the light on Jesus and to help you and me to see how wonderful, how awesome, and how amazing Jesus is. (laughs) That's what the Holy Spirit loves to do. So, as we meditate upon the Gospel, as we meditate upon who Jesus is and what He has done, something amazing happens. Something amazing happens. The Holy Spirit of God illuminates to our hearts the glory of our Savior. The glory of Jesus. The glory of the cross. And then something else happens. Our hearts are humbled. We are sobered. We see our sins against God as far more significant than the sins of other people against us. And we are thereby enabled to be less angry and to show people grace. In contemplating the cross of Christ as the Holy Spirit illuminates it to our hearts, we become more content. We become more content because we're so thankful for what, what He's done. No matter what else is going on in our lives, we are rejoicing and thankful because we're so grateful for our salvation and we can be rest content even though challenging things can be going on because we know that we're not... We've not been treated as our sins deserve. What a wonderful truth. We've not been treated as our sins deserve, but as far as the East is from the West. Oh, what joy and peace there is in contemplating that. At the foot of the cross, bitterness, anger, complaining, discontent, it it dies. And in this way, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. So, what's the application? What's the application? It's this. Here's the path of wisdom, okay? We're being given a path of wisdom, brothers and sisters. This is God really helping all of us here today. Here's the path of wisdom. Seek daily to receive the word of the gospel again and again and again and again and again. Seek daily to receive the word of the gospel. Or more simply, in modern language, preach the gospel to yourself daily. Don't stop. Don't ever stop because the gospel has the power to save. It has the power to sanctify, to transform you and me from the inside out. With that, let's bring this, uh, let's bring this home and bring this to a close. The band can join me here on the stage. Today we've seen that there is an alternative pathway to sinful anger. When a feeling of displeasure rises up within us because of something someone said or something someone did or because something that is happening in our own lives or in the world around us that is displeasing (laughs) to us, when that feeling of displeasure rises up within us, we don't have to respond unrighteously. That's, that's the lesson here today. We don't have to respond unrighteously, unwisely, foolishly with sinful anger. We don't have to. There is a choice for us. There is another pathway. Another way you and I can go. There's another way we can go. 
here in 2023. That pathway, it's very clear, it's right there in your, in your scriptures. Lay aside all filthiness. Lay aside all wickedness. That pathway is put away. All that is born of sin, born of the flesh, in, including every form of sinful anger. Put it away. That's the pathway. The pathway also, this is happy stuff, is humbly and meekly receive the word of the gospel again and again, deeply in your souls, such that you are changed. That's the pathway. This is the path that God, by His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, has laid out for us through James. So, brothers and sisters, in the days ahead, may God, by His Holy Spirit, He's with us. He wants to help us. May He help us to walk in it. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we thank You. We thank You so much for how You have spoken to us through this passage. Lord, thank You for how You have laid out a divine alternative and pathway to the anger that we at times all yield to. Lord, forgive us of those times that we stumble and fall and give ourselves to sinful anger. Lord, we all stumble and fall. I stumble and fall. We all stumble and fall in this way. We now ask You to forgive us. And Lord, we also ask You that You would help us by the power of Your Holy Spirit in the days ahead to more frequently take the righteous pathway You've set out for us in Your Word. In Jesus' name, we all pray together. Amen.